This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're working our way into Chapter 6, a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has talked about how to give and how to pray faithfully, with our hearts focused on only one audience, God himself. Today, Pastor will explore what Jesus teaches us about fasting. Going without food for a period of time is a mysterious practice to most. Why we would do such a thing and for how long may differ. But if we're going to fast, we ought to do it as Jesus instructs. His opinion is the one that matters. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 16 through 18, a short passage today, because we want to focus on that spiritual discipline that Jesus talks about. Remember, before we even get to that one, let me read to you Matthew 6, verse 1, because that is the overarching purpose of this entire section, verses 1 through 18, when Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you will have no reward with your father who is in heaven. So right there, he sets the tone and we understand that we are to live our Christian life for the eyes of the world, but not for the approval of the world, only for the purpose of being salt and light, for the pleasure of our father who is in heaven, whose reward really matters. And that is Jesus' point right here. So with that in mind, let's read verses 16 through 18. And he says this, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So these are the precepts of our majestic Savior. And here what we understand is how subjects of the kingdom of heaven should fast, should we choose to, because there is no specific command in the New Testament that says we are supposed to do this. But if we choose to do it, this is how we're supposed to do it. And something else we need to pay attention to is the format in which the Sermon on the Mount was delivered. This is the greatest sermon ever given. So we don't want to change anything. We want to preserve the format and the structure. And when we do this, we can divide the three verses that we just read into two parts. And the first one is this, in verse 16, Jesus condemns fabricated fasting. Now, let me give you some background about the practice of fasting from Scripture so that we can begin to understand what that's all about. During the time of Jesus, this discipline was a part of Jewish life. For example, collectively, the nation of Israel was to hold a national fast in the Day of Atonement, known as Yom Kippur. In the Babylonian captivity, Jewish exiles fasted constantly to remember the tragedy that their unfaithfulness brought to the nation. You remember the tragedy was disobedience to God and idolatry. And you can read all about that in Zechariah 8 verse 19. But individually, the Jews would fast for the purpose of repentance and mourning over the tragedy that was happening in their nation. Now, for this reason, this practice here of fasting has always been associated with mourning, sorrow, and grief. But over time, 
people began to use that as an opportunity to draw attention to themselves, to their supposed brokenness, to their supposed elevated spirituality. And that is exactly what Jesus is confronting here. Do not portray an elevated spirituality that is not there. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't imitate the hypocrites when you are fasting, he says this. And the fact that he used the word whenever in verse 16, circle that word there in your Bibles, the word whenever, indicates that fasting was common practice. He's saying, when you do this, don't do it like them. And according to the description of Jesus here, these were religious actors. And these guys here would literally rehearse their facial expressions like an actor. And they would rearrange their facial expressions with the aid of cosmetics to appear gloomy. And the way we know this is because the word that Matthew used here to describe gloominess has the idea of disfigurement. In other words, they would put on eyeshadow, for example, like an actor, to portray the image of a zombie walking around, starving to death because they are spiritual. But their fabricated piety was very bad because it only served as a facade to hide an evil heart. That is the pattern here. They would put on the facade to hide an evil heart. What they wanted to do is to enhance their credibility. We need to note that. They wanted to enhance their credibility so that people would think something like this. Boy, I would never question such spiritual giants. We should never question them. Therefore, we should embrace their teaching. You see, the problem was they were misapplying the Old Testament. Because they had no biblical support to do that, they were claiming authority from other teachers, from other rabbis, and they lacked foundation for their teaching. They would have to put on a show so that people would never question them. They would embrace their teaching and say, boy, they must be really spiritual. Therefore, we must listen to them. Because these are spiritual giants. So they appealed to theatrics. And as a result, they intimidated people into believing their falsehood. The intimidation was the whole problem. The intimidation of the hypocrites. Now, I have encountered such spiritual intimidation in my, in my years of ministry. Maybe you have too. And that's what Jesus is confronting right here. Exactly. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. You need to have a pure heart. Because a, a genuine righteousness, surpassing righteousness, comes from a heart that is not hypocritical. So I call this type of hypocrisy pharisaical manipulation. And that's what these guys were all about here. Jesus is saying they want to appear more spiritually than they really are, but they're hiding a sinful heart because they lust, they lie, they hate their neighbors, they don't forgive. So you need to not do what they do because this is pharisaical intimidation. But this practice is not limited to spiritual leaders. All of us are tempted with that. And we need to guard against that. From the pulpit to the pew, we must guard against fabricated piety so that we're not being hypocritical. We don't want to be perceived as more spiritual than we really are so that people will follow us. Here's a better option. Paul talks about this very clearly in 1 Corinthians 11. 1. Be my imitators as I am an imitator of Christ. So the plan is to practice Christ-like humility, genuine spirituality, and whatever kind of influence God will allow us to have will be because we're driving people to the Word of God. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. And he goes on to say here, now if you imitate the hypocrites, if you go that route... You will get a limited reward. What a low standard to go for the applause of people, to go for the admiration of a few folks, to think that you are higher up in your spiritual ranking. What a low standard. There is a better option. And Jesus talks about that when he condemns fabricated fasting, but he then goes on to commence faithful fasting. So 
fabricated fasting is a no-no. And what we need to strive for is faithful fasting if we are to fast. Again, there's nowhere in the New Testament that commands us to fast. But look, circle the word when again in verse 17. When you fast. And again, that's because Jesus is assuming that subjects of the kingdom of heaven will fast. I mean, it's not commanded, but he's assuming this is something his followers will do. But here's what he says. It says, wash up. When you do this, remove any makeup. That's why he says, when you do this, wash your face. Remove the cosmetics. Make sure you look as natural as possible. Put on some oil. Anoint your head with oil because it will remove any possibility of people thinking you're a walking zombie because you're doing fasting, you're fasting for so long now. And also it'll perfume your face a little better. Do not show to anyone what you're doing. And the purpose is right there in verse 18. And he summarizes the point like this. Advertised individual fasting reaches the wrong audience. If you're going to advertise your fasting, you are missing the point, is what he says. So he's contrasting fabricated fasting with faithful fasting. He's saying, don't do that, but instead, if you're going to fast, this is how you do it. This is the motivation of your heart. Now, let me give you some examples from Scripture of people who engaged in faithful fasting. And let's see if we can identify some common elements. This will guide our lives in case we decide to fast. And if we decide to do it, here's some guidelines from Scripture. The first one is Samuel. Remember, the prophet Samuel, in the context of national repentance. 1 Samuel 7, verses 5 through 6. He says this, instructing the people, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. All right, next one, Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1 verse 4. When he heard that the walls of Jerusalem had fallen, he said this, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Longing to understand biblical prophecy, Daniel proceeded as follows. And again, let's see if we can identify common elements here in these three so far. Daniel 9 verses 1 through 3. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now here's another one. Through the prophet Joel... God invites his people, and he says this, Joel 2, verses 12 to 13, and again, I hope you're writing down the common elements that you see here so far. This is what God says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments. Now return to the Lord God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil the last one here in our list. Luke writes about the early church. In Acts 13 verses 1 through 3, he says this, Now they were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 
set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Acts 13 verses 1 through 3. So church, my question for you is this. Have you identified the common patterns here in these people who are fasting? Here's what I've identified. The common elements in all of these cases. Sorrow over sin. Repentance and desire for wisdom. Sorrow over sin and mourning over sin. Repentance and the desire for wisdom. Now, we can learn from these people the motivation for faithful fasting. Again, even though the Bible doesn't command church-age believers to fast, here's the reason I am convinced that the Bible encourages us to do it. And for that, I'm going to take you to Matthew 9, verses 14 through 15. When the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So I ask you again, church, are we in those days? We live in the days where the bridegroom is not physically present with us, do we not? Now, we are not the attendants of the bridegroom. Let's, let's get that out of the way and clear that in the analogy that Jesus presents here of a wedding feast. We are not the attendants of the bridegroom. Those are the disciples who became apostles. We know that because the Bible, the rest of the New Testament says that we are the bride of Christ. That's the illustration here. But as the church, we mourn the fact that we are temporary absent, physically speaking, with Christ. And we long for, with great anticipation, we long for the day of the wedding feast when we will supper together with the Lord. And that is the point of this illustration here that Jesus has given us in Matthew 9, verses 14 through 15. And he answers the question that the disciples of John were asking, why do you guys not fast or that you, your servants do not fast? And he said, well, because I'm here. There's no need to mourn. There's reason for them to rejoice. They're being prepared for ministry. They are going to be the pioneers of the Christian movement. But he says, well, there's coming a time when the bridegroom will be removed from them temporarily. We know that because he's coming back. And the illustration of the wedding feast carries on because we are the bride of Christ. And the primary purpose, therefore, for us to fast is in repentance, sorrow over sin, and desire for him. We mourn the fact that we can't be with Christ, physically speaking, but there's coming a day when we will. Now, those of us who are married identify with this idea. It's not hard for us to understand. No matter how hungry we get, we'd rather go home and have dinner with our spouse rather than grab a bite on the way, right? We look forward to the fellowship. And it's not necessarily that we're mourning, but we look forward to sitting down together and spending time eating together. So we mourn the temporary absence of Jesus here, even though he sent us another comforter, the Holy Spirit. He says this in John 14, verse 16, that the Holy Spirit indwell believers, and he is another comforter of the same kind, meaning the third person of the Trinity, to indwell believers along with the Father and the Son. But we look forward. The purpose of our mourning is to focus our attention on Christ, to look forward to the day when our union will be complete. And that day happens when we either when we die or when the rapture takes place. Now, here's another word of comfort for us here as also an instruction. We are blessed if we mourn this way. Because the Bible says in Matthew 5 verse 4, according to Beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Why, church? Because they will be comforted. 
So we mourn in fasting now the temporary absence from Christ. That's the primary purpose. But we will be comforted. Why? Because one day we'll be united with Him forever. Also, we mourn sin. We mourn our sinful society. And we mourn the fact that we are still sinful, the fact that we are redeemed sinners, but we still sin. But we look forward to the day that that will be no more. So, therefore, we can abstain temporarily from food for spiritual reasons. And when we do this, we demonstrate to Christ that we need Him more than we need food. And that's the point. To demonstrate to Jesus Christ that we need Him more than we need physical nourishment. Because He will provide for us. So, for example, if you're going to engage in fasting, if you're going to do that, you can fast to express to God, not to people. So these are the guidelines. You can fast to express to God rather than to people your sorrow over our sinful society, for example. And you would use that time to seek Him in prayer, looking forward to a sinless society when the bridegroom is here. Or, for example, you can fast to express to God, not to people, your sorrow over your own sin. And you would use the time to pray to God and to ask Him to give you a clean heart and looking forward to a sinless existence. When the bridegroom is here, physically present with you. That's the point. So we can conclude then that New Testament believers can fast if they choose to, even though there's no command specifically in Scripture, as long as the motivation is right, as long as we're engaged in faithful fasting. There's no point in striking a deal with God because, listen, there's nothing you can offer to God that He doesn't have. There's nothing you can offer to God that is going to even impress Him. So there's no point in trying to exchange with God. Listen, God, I'm going to give you my sacrifice here to add to the sacrifice of Christ because that wasn't sufficient. Therefore, I need to go on a hunger strike here. No, that's the wrong motivation. God's not going to take that. He will honor a humble heart who desires to express hunger and thirst for righteousness and to express need and desire for the one who is the bread of life. The frequency and the duration of the fasting, if you're going to do it, is up to each individual believers. You just need wisdom and consider your health and age because, for example, it may be dangerous for a diabetic to skip meals, so you, you need to know what you're doing if you're going to do it, and you, you want to have the right motivation according to the passages that we provided. And the way that Jesus concludes this uh, session here is so enlightening and so good for our hearts because he closes everything of this entire session of the Sermon on the Mount with the idea of rewards. So you can create a whole other study on the doctrine of rewards. Now, we're not going to do that this morning. We don't have time to go through all of them. But I just want to conclude my sermon today by following the way Jesus concluded his, by bringing up the promise of rewards, because this is what he says in in the end of, of this session. The Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, according to several passages in the New Testament, crowns will serve as tokens of our rewards, as visible manifestations of our ability to rule with Christ. So believers will receive crowns. Some people will receive more rewards than others. Just like in the great white throne judgment when Christ condemns and sentences every unbeliever who ever existed. Some people will receive more punishment than other, or a higher degree of punishment than others. Now, faithful believers will receive more rewards than others. In other words, more crowns. And the New Testament lists different kinds of crowns. And I want to list them here for you. And then for homework, you can, you can try to identify others in Scripture. But let's go over these four. The first one is the reward for those of us who persevere under trial. Now, are we interested in that one or not? Perseverance under trial. 
There's a reward for those of us who do this. And James 1 verse 12 talks about this. This is what he says. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So if you love the Lord, you will receive the crown of life and you persevere under trial. Of course, you're going to receive the crown of life. And book of Revelation 2 verse 10 talks about this. Be faithful until death. This is the risen Christ telling them, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So my friend, if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to receive the crown of life. Even more so if you persevere under trial in church. How is that for our motivation to stand firm in challenging times? Here's a second one. The reward for those who eagerly wait for the return of Christ. This is what Paul says to Timothy. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, church, every time you fast, you express your desire for the return of Christ. And therefore, there is uh, waiting for you the crown of righteousness because you are expressing to God the desire for the return of Christ. And Paul says, not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Now, here's a third one. And I'm looking forward to this one. I'm going to read this and see if you can identify it, okay? Therefore, Peter says, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Church, I'm looking forward to that one. Now, let me indicate to you here the fourth one. Now, this is not a literal crown, and you'll see why, but perhaps some sort of a, a reminder of our faithfulness here. This is what Paul says to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For who is our hope and joy, or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our glory and joy. Now, Paul is telling people, you are my, re my rewards. You guys, the people who I led to Christ and the church that are shepherded, you are my crown, the crown of exaltation and joy. In other words, people in heaven who are going to see Paul and say, I'm here because of you. That's Paul's reward. And my friend, if you are a faithful soul winner, you can count on the crown of exaltation because you will see people in heaven who will come up to you and say, thank you for being faithful for preaching the gospel to me because otherwise I don't know that I would have been here. Obviously, we know the sovereignty of God, but the fact that you are the channel of that person's salvation, that, that, that gives us joy. And church, again, is there a better time in our lifetime than now to tell people on how to get to heaven looking forward to the reward that comes from the Father? doesn't matter if people shut the door on your face. It doesn't matter if they shut you down or, or they cancel you. We live in a cancel culture today. The fact is the people you do lead to Christ will be in heaven one day and they will be there as a forever reminder of your faithfulness to proclaim the gospel. That's what I'm looking forward to. So that's what we're after. And, and if we're talking about practical righteousness, which is what Jesus is talking about here, and he used the example of giving to the poor, prayer, and now using the example of fasting. Now that we understand what fasting is all about, you can do it if you choose to do so. 
Just don't advertise it. Wash your face. Don't try to impress anyone with your fasting. It's a matter between you and God. And if you're going to do it, may the Lord honor that. If you're going to express your sorrow in a sense that you're looking forward to being comforted on that day and you're looking forward to those heavenly rewards, may the Lord grant you growth and maturity and grant your request for wisdom if that's the reason you're doing your, your fasting. So now join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to see what the Bible has to say about fasting. Such an important spiritual discipline in our lives, Lord. Often misunderstood, Lord, but uh, there is no misunderstanding when we open Scripture, Lord, and we see what you have to say by what you have already said in the Word of God. So thank you for that, Lord, and I pray, Father, that you will continue to guide us towards growth and maturity, Lord, and those of us who decide to fast every once in a while for the purpose of being faithful to you, to seek you, to express our hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to express our desire for the bread of life that is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will grant us the desires of our hearts as we align our hearts with yours, because Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Lord, so we want to delight in you, and what better way to do this than to skip a meal every once in a while, to focus on you, then focus our attention fixing our eyes on you, because Lord, if we fix our eyes in the news, we're in trouble. Lord, we, we, we want to focus our eyes on you, Lord. And with that, we want to align our hearts with you and pray, Father, have your way in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. We're always looking for people just like you to join us in spreading the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.